Hi, listeners. Welcome to episode 45 of Define Normal, a podcast where everything and nothing is normal. I'm your host, Shelby, and this week's episode features my grandma, Sadie Robinson. I wanted to do this interview because I have four living grandparents. I was actually born with four grandparents and three great-grandparents. My last great-grandparent passed away during the pandemic, which was my grandma Sadie's mom, Mildred. And since I started this podcast, I have interviewed a couple family members, my sister and my mom, but I think it's really important to talk to my grandparents because it's rare to be almost 30 years old and have four grandparents who are alive and well. So I feel very lucky. And for my first segment of interviewing the grandparents, I chose my maternal grandmother, Sadie. If you know me personally, you've definitely heard a Sadie story. I spent a lot of time with her and continue to spend a lot of time with her. Growing up, I would go visit her during summer with my sister, and we have so many memories of hanging out with my grandparents at their house. And you've also probably heard stories of her sons, who she mentions, my uncles, Joey and Josh. I mean, it's just a joy to talk to her and hear about her life and her legacy and what she's proud of. Uh, We talk about how she keeps on touch of all the technology. I mean, my grandma's recording a podcast from her iPhone. So this episode is really a chance just to get to know her better and hear some wisdom from a woman who's lived quite a life. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Grandmommy. Welcome to Define Normal. Hello, Shelby. My number one grandbaby. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, because I'm the oldest. I am excited to have you. First of all, I'm impressed that you were able to get on to the platform with your iPhone. Look at you go. Well, thank you. Well, I guess you can tell I can follow directions. Good. (laughs) Yeah, you can follow directions. Look at you. You made it right here onto a video chat. So you're already a step ahead of the game. I'm excited to have you here. You already commented on how many questions I have for you. (laughs) I have a lot of questions, so I'm excited to get into them. And I also just told you before we recorded, the reason I'm doing this is because, A, anybody who knows me has heard about you, um, even if they haven't met you. And then it's, it's just like a good record to have. Not that many people get to interview their grandparents, so... You're my first grandparent that I'm interviewing. Oh, I feel so delighted. (laughs) Yes, you you. (laughs) you should be. You should be. I have four and you're the first. So let's get into the questions. The first question I have for you is where did you grow up? I grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, Madison County, small town. When I lived here 40 years ago, it was about 36,000. The place has grown a lot. So now it's almost double. But Jackson, Tennessee, I stayed here uh, from birth all the way through college. So tell me about your childhood in Jackson. Childhood in Jackson was, it was great. It was wonderful. It was a small net community. So we knew our neighbors. We moved quite a bit over the city. So we got a chance to meet a lot of kids from different, different neighborhoods, different schools. However, I tell everybody, as much as our mother moved us all over the city, she never changed our school. So we stayed in the same elementary school, and then we all went to the same junior high and the same high school. So that was nice, but we got a chance to uh, mingle with other people that went to other schools in our neighborhood. Uh, We stayed in one neighborhood the longest, which uh, was Baltimore Street. So that's probably my uh, fondest memory 
of childhood because we stayed there the longest. And how many siblings did you have? You said we. Well, that was a total of six. It was, I grew up mostly with five. We got the last one, which was my sister, Julia, uh, probably 16 years, 16 years between uh, me and my sister. And my oldest brother was five years different, but totally a five year, a five siblings, mostly close knit, three sisters and two brothers, three sisters and two brothers. And what was your mom like? Very nice, gentle, sweet woman, caring. She felt as if if she could, she would bring everybody home with her. She would take everybody to church with her if she could. Uh, We talked, um, we grew up in a very religious home. We had to go to church quite a bit. I mean, she went to church on Tuesdays, Thursdays, uh, Sunday school Sunday morning, then back Sunday night for uh, church services. We didn't have a TV because she felt like, I mean, in her religion, she felt like it taught violence and uh, just so much on the outside world. So without a TV, there was a lot of talking. She did a lot of talking to us and telling us about her beliefs, instilled values in us. She uh, Neighbors, we were always bringing friends home with us, and everybody was uh, welcome to our home at one point or another. We seemed like we always had someone staying with us. Very nice. I can just remember her as a very nice, gentle woman with uh, strong values. Uh, strong values and education was the number one that she talked about all the time, which goes back to why she kept us at the same school. Because as a teacher, we know that taking kids from their environment and putting them in different schools, they miss skills and uh, just a lot of things they missed. She was on top of the game. She did not take us out of our school. We drove to school in cabs, which our friends kind of laughed at us because she felt like other kids would uh, pick fights with us or get into trouble. So we drove the cab, which was kind of strange because here we are driving in a cab when most people walked everywhere they went. But we went and we finally convinced her when we got into about uh, junior high, when everybody in the neighborhood was walking, going to the same school, that we were okay. We could walk. So she did that. She let us walk. In the cab for protection? (laughs) She did, and we thought that was kind of strange because when she would go to work, we knew what time, you know, the cab was coming, but we also had this one brother, you know, you get one person, it's difficult. Uh, The cab driver would even sometimes go in and almost half get him ready so we could get us in the cab and go to school. But uh, we did this for quite some uh, time, and uh, my name was very scarce, so it was kind of like we didn't understand. Why are we going to school in a cab and everybody else? Is walking. But uh, little did we know she was trying to get that strong value of education about not moving us out of our school, even though, as I said, being a, it was a single parent, she moved us all over the city. I mean, we lived in different neighborhoods, but same school, same school, same church. I mean, I got the pleasure of spending some time with her, and I do remember her being incredibly religious. When we lived in Indianapolis, she would come visit on her bus trips with church like and at this point she's what in her is she in her 70s 80s like I mean this is like in the early 2000s late 90s probably 70s she she was exactly that she was very sweet very religious I also want to ask you what did you want to be as a child I'll ask you later what your career about your career and what you ended up doing but what did you want to be as a child? Early on, I've always dreamed of being an interior decorator. Well, when I went to high school, I majored in home economics, and we had to come up with this dream home, this book of 
all of the rooms and what would you put in them when you went to magazines. And the teacher looked at mine and she thought, oh, this is really nice. She thought everything was proportioned right. It wasn't, I mean, she looked at it and she said, oh, maybe you want to do an interior decorator. And I thought, oh, so that I thought about interior decorator all the way through elementary, high school. I mean, that was on my mind. I wanted to be an interior decorator. Wow. I mean, that's kind of interesting because you still really like home stuff. My whole life, you've liked decorating. You like to look at homes. You like to look at magazines with homes. So, I mean, that's still something you like. So you didn't become an interior decorator. What did you become? Like I said, I wanted to be an interior decorator all the way through high school. And then when I started looking at colleges, I found out that the local college, the Lane College, didn't have interior decorator, decorated. And the school close by was Tennessee State, and that was in Nashville. Well, at that time, after I got out, I married young, so I had a Sharon. So I was thinking, well, in order to go to Tennessee State, which was 120 miles away, I would have to leave my daughter, Sharon. I would have to leave her. And I thought, oh, I just couldn't do that. So I looked around in Jackson and Lane didn't have it. So I've always admired teachers, too. That was another thing. I always admired and respected teachers. And looking at teachers from a perspective, it was like the kind of life they had, integrity that they had. It was just like, oh, I wouldn't mind being a teacher. So that was the second thing that I thought about was uh, being a teacher. So what I did was, I end up looking at Lane, and then when I was thinking of education, I thought, well, what do I want to major in? You know, I want to be a teacher, but I was trying to think what area, because I was thinking you can just major in teaching. But then when I got to college, they said, yes, you can major in teaching, but, you know, they explained the secondary, the elementary, and also the subject matters. So they broke it down and said, your chances of getting a job, if you want to be a teacher, you have to decide on the age level. So I thought, okay, I know somehow fourth grade stuck in my mind. I want to be third or fourth. The advisor said, well, you probably want elementary ed. Your chances of finding a job in elementary would be greater than if you were to go subject matters because you only have one or two teachers in a building. And they explained that from that point of view. So I majored in uh, elementary ed. But before I did, I took a gap year, what you call a gap year from high school to college. I was also interested because mom always pushed do something, get an education or get a trade, get something, some kind of skill that you can have to fall back on. That was, she always taught that. So in the process, before I decided on that major elementary ed, that gap year, I thought about clerk typist. So I went to a little school and I did clerk typist and I did that. And uh, so all I did was just increase my typing skills, really. And so I looked at that and I was thinking, and then also thought about what I like to do. And somebody, some counselor or somebody said, think about how you visualize yourself. How, what, what would the day look like? What would your work day look like from the time you get up to while you're on the job to you get home? Find something that you like to do and how do you see yourself in it? So I visualize, I like to dress, I like clothes. I got that from my mom. You, you know, my Mildred had plenty of clothes, 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 clothes. We got that from her. So I thought, I like to dress up. I like to go to work and look nice. I like to dress. So I was thinking, okay, this is what I like to do. So I thought, okay, teaching. You know, you could dress up, and when you get to work, I want to be in a professional environment. I looked at typing. Who want to sit there and type all day at a typewriter, and they constantly giving you things to type up? And uh, your basket, somebody said your basket's always full. Every time at the end of the day, you think it's empty the next day. So I kind of visualized myself going to work in a professional environment, dressed, 
wanted to be dressed when I first started off in the 70s. We couldn't wear pants. And the year that I started teaching was the first year you could. So everything I owned in my wardrobe was pantsuits. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how I looked and saw my day. I wanted to be somewhere where I know I wanted to go to work dressed differently from what I had on all day. And also wanted to be in a professional environment. That was very important to me. So that kind of helped me to decide on uh, my career and what I wanted to do. You said you went to Lane College, and Lane College is in Jackson. Tell me about going to school at Lane. What was college like? You said you, you told us what you studied, but give us a little information about when were you in college, what years, and, and what was it like at Lane? Okay, now in Lane, like I said, I had that gap year to figure out what I wanted to do, taking post office tests, clerk typist and all of that. So I graduated from high school like in 1970. Between that year, when I decided on uh, what I wanted to do, I started at Lane because I, I don't know if I told you, we lived around the corner from Lane. It was walking distance. So I would also see kids too going, uh, going to Lane. And one by one Sunday, one Sunday, and I saw that they were having graduation. And I saw all these people out on the lawn, and they had their caps and gowns on, and it just looked so inviting. It's like, oh, I could visualize myself in there. I can't wait to be a part of that community. It was just uh, so inviting. I wanted to do that. So what I did was I thought, okay, next September, I, I had already taken the ACT test from high school and all, and I knew I wanted a more formal education. It's just that I took, it that, took that gap year to figure out what I really wanted to do. Because like I said, I got married early. So that was a year to decide on what I wanted to do. As they always say, 18, married at 18 and all those marriages doesn't work out. Usually they don't. And it didn't. So I started at Lane in 71. When I got there, they gave us this catalog. And they said, this is your Bible. If you find out your major, you follow this. And if you follow this, you'll come out in four years. You know, don't drop classes. Make sure you pass them. Make sure you go to class. Make sure you do all that. Uh, as we said earlier, I'm good at following directions. So I, I, I took this, I took the catalog, and when I did that freshman year, I marked off the courses that I was going to take. And this was before technology, before we did things on computer. You had to show up in the, I forget what we call it, the, the place you go and you get your catalog and you get your courses and your professor. You have to pick out your classes. Then you get in line and you go to these professors and they have to sign off on them. So you have to get up early. And like an auditorium, when they give you 8 o'clock. So what you need to do is you, you sign up and get your classes. You get your signature to get all your classes before they're closed. So I did that, and I, I followed that. So when I got in these classes, I realized I've always been a good student. So I realized college is not as hard as they say it's going to be. After I got through that first semester, and I realized if you follow directions, follow the, the syllabus, which was a new word that we didn't know what that was until we got there. If you follow that, do what they say do, chances are you can graduate in four years. Okay, so I followed that and I thought, mm, if I go to summer school, then I can knock out another semester. So my goal was to finish in three years. If I found out that, oh, I can finish in three years if I go, go summers because my brother was also in college. He started a year before I did, and he was, he was there. So I ended up catching up with him, and we ended up graduating together because what I did was I did those three years. I thought I was going to do the third semester, but because I followed that catalog, followed the Bible, as they said, and didn't drop any classes, took a full load, I was able to graduate in three years and two summers. So we came out together. 
May of 74. My brother and I, very competitive, but we came out. He even said he wanted to get his diploma before me, but because my name at that time was a B, his name was an M, I got mine before he did. So we laughed at all of that. So that's what I did. And that last year in college, we have recruiters that come to the campus. So I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to teach, and I wanted to do fourth grade. And I looked up. When we did uh, student teaching, they said, what grade you want to be, what school you want to be at? Okay, Sharon was at this school called, Ella. she was at Highland Park. Because, again, where I live, Sharon would have gone to the same school that I went to, Lincoln School. And, again, it's like, oh, I want her to have a different environment. I don't want her to go to the same school. And at this time, busing came about. And you uh, we'll get into that later on about it, uh, integration and all. So I had Sharon to go to a school that was on the other side of town. So I told the, this uh lady, this uh, supervisor, I wanted to do my student teaching in that building because I had Sharon there in the first grade. So I wanted to do it in the fourth grade. Callie, which is my, uh, my uh, sister-in-law, Sharon's aunt, she wanted Washington Douglas because she didn't have a car and there was a ride that went there every day. She wanted that. But somehow, because both of our names ended in bond, she got it mixed up. She gave Callie the school where Sharon was and she gave me the school that Callie wanted to went, uh, wanted to go to. We didn't realize this until late on. So I had to spend my time leaving, going across town, picking up Sharon every day from her school after I got through student teaching and then going back to Lane to take a class that I had. So that went on. That was pretty busy, but we got it done. My senior year, I started looking for jobs around in Jackson, putting in applications and all, but... Like I said, as we'll get into that about uh, minority, them high minority teachers was slim to none. Very few teachers got hired. They had to rec uh, leave the state or drive around and 40 or 50 miles to go and look for jobs. They did not hire a lot of teachers in Jackson, minority teachers. So they had a recruiter that came from uh, Michigan, and we were going to an environment where they were trying to get minority teachers to come there. So the recruiter, each year he got someone, and the year, the year of 74, I was the one. So there was somebody there from the year before at Lane. So when we got there, we got we compared notes, and we realized the recruiter gave us misleading uh, information. We know we were going to go to a small rural area. He sold it on Detroit. It's 50 miles away. And on the weekend, teachers go to Detroit, and they do this and that. And in the 70s, everybody know Motown was a place to be. It was, right. I mean, music was going great then. It was a place to be. So when we got there and we talked, and she said, I said, oh, Detroit is 50 miles away and blah, blah, blah. She said, no, 250. I said, no, he told me 50. She said, he told me that, too. He left off the two. So when we went back and talked to him, he laughed. He said, we were so interested in getting a job, we just didn't hear it. But we knew that was his way of getting us there because a year after that, he told the next person that came in the same thing. So we laughed about it. It was like we wanted a job, so we went. So I went there, and it's like, I'm going to stay here one year, and I'm getting the heck out of here because this is no place for a single person to be and young or whatever. Sharon, however, loved it. She loved it. I had a girlfriend, that they worked in high school, and every time they had a play, they always included Sharon in it as somehow they would write her into it. She was the mascot for the cheerleaders high school. I mean, she was involved with a lot of things. So Sharon loved it. So the second year, I kind of played around and didn't find a job. And I stayed another year. Stayed the second year. Third year, I'm out of here because I need to go. And I went, moved on to Ohio. So what part of Michigan were you in 250 miles away from Detroit? The name of the little city was Baldwin, Michigan. And uh, it was 
close to the Grand Rapids, which was 80 miles away. You may have heard of Big Rapids, Ferris State College. Yeah, I've been to Ferris State, actually. They have a, a museum, like a of memorabilia from the civil rights. And my friend is moving to Grand Rapids, actually. So I also wanted to ask, how old was my mom during this time? Sharon was second grade. When I went to Michigan, second grade. She, was, she did a second and third grade there. I was a fourth grade teacher. And I got there and worked with two other teachers that were there. And we got together. We worked well together. We decided, instead of having kids all day long, go to departmentalize. So I did the math, fourth grade math. One did fourth grade science, and the other one did fourth grade social studies. And we did our own reading. And we worked well together for those two years. In fact, when I left and went to Michigan and moved to California, wherever I went, one of the teachers still visited me, and we still stayed in contact on up until like two years ago. What was Michigan like compared to Jackson? Okay, you said you went to Ferris. Ferris was in the kind of rural life. So can you imagine 30 miles away up in the woods? So there's another place called Idlewild, Michigan. I don't know if you heard of that. It's almost called like the Black... Uh, resort area back in the 50s and 60s when blacks can go to hotels and they can go to other places. This was a place that the Motown people and all of the stars from Chicago, they had little homes up there, little resort areas where they would come up there in the summertime. And the teachers that was recruited stayed in their houses because we always left in the summer and they came in the winter. So I just saw on the national news where they're trying to get that Idlewild started again. But it was in the rural area. We had gravel roads. Biggest thing in wintertime was snowmobiling. Sharon uh, with the neighborhood kids loved it. She loved the snowmobiling. And uh, even though I taught and she went down the hall for me, she would not ride to school with me. She wanted to walk with her friends with their snowmobiles. She thought it was so cute to have a snowmobile uh outfit on and they walked and it, I thought oh my god coming from the south and being warm and I thought you're gonna get cold but she loved it <laughs> that's funny <laughs> mom takes the midwest with the snowmobilers <laughs> so you moved to Ohio next so you got a teaching job in Ohio what part of Ohio did you live in okay I went to because I went to Dayton and I went to Dayton because I have a my sister was there Anna Ruth and then my aunt Louise, my mother's sister, was there. We almost called her the Underground Railroad because our cousins and all, when they would leave uh, Tennessee, they would go and stay with her till they find a job or whatever. So I went to, uh, I was going to Dayton in the summer between those years I lived in Baldwin. So I wanted a job there, but I didn't get a teaching job right away. So I thought, okay, I'll start working on my master's. So that's what I did. That first year I moved there to Dayton, I started working on my master's. Doris would keep sharing while I went to class at night. Your mom was a great kid to keep. I mean, I had no problems finding babysitters for her because she was just, everybody loved sharing. So Doris would keep her at night while I would go and work on my master's in the, at Wright State. And I was subbing, doing substitute teaching in the daytime. While I was subbing, I met somebody at the school, a lady that was a principal at a school, and she told me about uh, her school. She would love to have me there and whatever. So I did. I started subbing at her school and working on my master's at night. Okay, you were busy. You were doing a lot. Love to stay busy. Never, that never went away. <laughs> <laughs> Very busy. Okay, so you're in Dayton. You are getting your master's at Wright State. You're substitute teaching. So what else happened while you were dating? Is this during, did you meet Paul Paul during this time? This is the time I met him. Okay, going over to Doris's house on the weekends or whatever. Doris was, um... Dayton's brother. I kind of met, I met Millish first, though. I met him through because my aunt, Aunt Louise, mama's sister, lived across the street from his mother. Right. But he wasn't there. He was in a way in the military. So he would, when uh, he got 
recruited. I mean, he moved to Dayton as a recruiter. And then I would go and visit Doris on weekends. He would visit his brother on weekends. So boy meet girl. <laughs> so I met him over there, and I just looked at him as Millage's little brother, you know. And then Millage kept saying, if you know Millage, he loves to tell everything that he done heard. And he kept saying, I know somebody want to talk to you. I know somebody is just interested in you. And he kept talking and talking. He's like, who? And then he said, my brother. And it's like, your brother. <laughs> uh, Doris and Millage, I mean, I was real close to Doris because she kept sharing a lot. And I would go out with them. And one night we went home. We went over to Millage's house to pick up something. And Joe was there along with his cousin. And they were, they, I don't know, they were having fun. I guess they had gotten into somebody's wine. And they were just loud. And wow, I thought, oh, my God, he's awful. He's so loud or whatever. And uh, Millage kept talking about his brother, kept talking about his brother. To, and my sister knew Joe personally and said, oh, he's a nice guy. Said he's really nice. And I kept hearing that over and over. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And I thought, okay. So I went out with him on his 25th birthday. We went out to celebrate his birthday. On his 25th birthday. And then after that, did he convince you? He did. Yeah, compared to other dates and all, I thought, yeah, nice. I kept hearing nice guy. And that's what I want. I like to hear that. I like to hear nice guy when other people say it over and over. It's like, okay, and maybe he is a nice guy. And right. His dates were, they were a lot elevated than the rest of them with the McDonald's. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So that's why you married him. Well, nice guy, nice family, and uh, yeah, got to know them. You guys met, what year was this? 78, 79, somewhere, because we dated for two years and we got married in 81. Okay. So somewhere along in there. After you got your master's, did you end up getting a teaching job and staying, or what happened? Catch us up. Okay, that next year, when I, okay, I was subbing that first year. Now I'm at the school. Okay, I got that job based on somebody I met in class. Now that I'm at the school and we team talk, I team talk with another lady, first grade. Again, we got along great. We got along fine. And she told me about this job at this Catholic school, full-time job. Somebody was going on a turn to leave and she told me about it. I got that. Teaching, it was a sixth grade at Dayton Catholic School. And your mother went there too. I put her in there. She, she went one year. She said she didn't like it. She didn't want to wear uniforms. So I taught there for one year. At a Catholic school, you don't have a lot of... Uh, not a lot of perks, and you know the salary was low. And again, I'm looking for more money, more experience. Then I found out uh, about this job in Trotwood, so I applied for that. And what they saying again now? This is the '70s, and they, they were trying to segregate the schools as for with teachers and students and all. So they were really looking for a minority, and uh, kind of they didn't tell me, but a, a lady as well. So I went there, and uh, a science position was open. I found out about that through the lady I work with. So I went there, and I got an uh, interview, and one of the guys said, oh, we got a double whammy. I had no idea what he was talking about. He was saying that in the interview process. So he told me later on, he said, well, you know, of course, we were looking for a minority. You were African-American. You were there. And a woman, so you really, you know, checked off two boxes with one. So I worked with a group of guys, needless to say, with science. It was about five of us. And I always say guys that wanted to be doctors. And somewhere along the line, they uh, they were major. They had majored in science. I wasn't. I was just an elementary ed major where we could teach all those subjects up to the ninth grade. I stayed there two years. And during the time I was there is when I met your granddaddy. So from there, so we, we got married in December. And Joe, he got transferred out to... 
California. And I didn't want to leave in the middle of the year as a teacher and also with Sharon. I just, again, with Mama Mildred, you just don't, you know, change. You don't do all of that in the middle of the year. You try to do as, as less as you can with the movement. So I stayed to the end of the year. When, uh, end of the year, then we, we both went to, uh, we went to California. Where in California? San Diego. So we went to San Diego. Sharon went there her 10th and 11th grade year. And she wanted to finish with her to, uh, senior year. The kids that she started out with the ninth grade, she wasn't too happy with it. And uh, at this time, we had Joey. And Joe was out on the ship. So I thought, okay, to please your, your mom, Sharon, I thought, okay, we'll go back to Dayton, Ohio, and uh, just stay there so she can finish her 12th grade year. And because Joe was out on the ship anyway. And then we, so I did that. And then after we left there, he got transferred to New Orleans. And this time she finished high school. So we all went to New Orleans while Sharon went to college. Oh, my God. So you guys are busy. You're Dayton finishing your master's, and then you get a teaching job with all these guys in science. You meet my grandpa, your husband, and then you he gets transferred to California. And you have Joey <laughs> and Papa's on a ship. And pregnant with Josh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're busy again. We're this is busy. Yeah. <laughs> the theme of this is busy. Yeah. Now, while I was in California, I did work as well, too. Uh, you, like you said, I like to stay busy. So I served for a little while there. And I don't know, when you sub and they feel like, oh, you need to be a teacher. You know, you need to work full time because of this. So they told me about the job at Job Corps. And I went there and I taught math at uh, Job Corps to 16 to 22 year old adults. So I did that until uh, Joey was born. Then that's when I stopped. And then we went on to to Dayton. And then when we got to Dayton, I still worked. I worked at Job Corps there. I taught GED, general ed. So I did stay busy. I've always stayed busy. Okay, we're in New Orleans. I decided to stay at home. Josh was born in March. And as soon as Sharon got out of school in June, July, we moved to New Orleans. And I was going to stay at home for a while. And I did, and then uh, I always get ready for the next job, next state that I'm going into as far as teaching certification. So I started working on uh, the national teacher's exam, studying for that. So when I went to take the test, I met a person there, and we got to talking. And again, she told me, oh, you need to come to our school. We're looking for a kindergarten teacher. And uh, she told me about the job, and I thought, well, I'm not ready to go to work because I was going to stay at home with Josh, but I was just getting the certificate. So when we got the results back, I passed. It was it was good results. She told the principal about me, so she called me up. I thought, okay, I'll go. So I taught kindergarten there in New Orleans. I had to drive a fa- on a ferry, drive, uh, drive to get on a ferry. The ferry take my car to about uh, over to the other side of the river. Then I get out and I drove 15 miles to the school. I did that to the end of the year, and it's like, uh-uh, that's not me. I, I, I was kind of, I don't know, I thought I was lucky getting on that ferry and nothing happened. I was kind of leery of that. So, but then I got a job in, um, in, in the city, in, in uh, New Orleans, where, I, where we live, just down the road from where we live. And I taught there and at uh, high school, Higgins, Higgins High. When I went and got my master's, I got it in special ed. So when I taught in New Orleans, I did special ed at the high school. I didn't know that you had your master's in special ed. I knew you had your master's, but I didn't know that's what it was in. Well, two, one in counseling and then one in uh, special ed. Special ed when I first got out of uh, college, when I moved to Ohio and started working there. 
I went to Wright State and got it there. So you're in New Orleans, you have two young kids, and you're back to teaching. Yeah. How long were you in New Orleans? Well, we were there, Joey started kindergarten there, so we were there for about three and a half years. But what made it so easy, though, Joe, your, your granddad was very good at taking them to the daycare every day because where, his, where he was stationed at was close by, so he would take them. We would get them dressed. He'd get one dress. I'd get one dress. He would take both of them to the daycare every day and pick them up. I taught down the street real close by, so I got home and got dinner ready and all that. So by the time they came home, then that's what we did. That, was, that made, it so, uh, made it a lot easier because I had to help. I didn't have to worry about, you know, cooking dinner, picking them up, dropping them off, picking them up. So he did that part. And so we stayed there three and a half. We were going to stay there three years. But at that time, something was happening in the military where they were putting a hole on all of the transfers, which made it good because we were going to leave in the middle of the year. And because they put a hold on it, we were able to, um, we were able to stay there. So then we went to Alaska. What was that like? Like where in Alaska and what was living in Alaska like? <laughs> <laughs> when we went to Adak, Alaska, Joe had been there before. And he talked about it a lot. He thought, oh, he wouldn't like to have his boys there because of the fishing, the hunting. And uh, he was really sold on it. So we had a choices of going to um, Alaska. It was Japan and somewhere else. So we thought we would go to Alaska because, you know, that experience. So we, we went to Alaska and it was going to be three years. Again, they put a hold on something happened, which worked out for us. Because I got a, when I went there, I saw for the first year. And again, they realized that I had a degree and a master's. And so something, and you know, when you're in a classroom working and they know what you are capable of doing, it's like a position came open and I applied and then I got it. Again, my favorite grade, fourth. <laughs> so you're teaching fourth graders in ADAC, Alaska. Uh, yes. So I taught in ADAC. The three years I was, well, I was there three and a half. So the first one year I did uh, special ed aid, and then I taught the other two years that I was there. What was living in Alaska like? Like, Paul Paul wanted to go because he said he loved it. It was an experience, and the, Joey and Josh would get to hunt and fish, et cetera. Well, when I first went there, and, after we, and we had uh, what you call, I can't forget what you call it in the military. You have these people, that, they call them sponsors. We have sponsors that once we get there, you know, they meet us at the airport, and they take us to the, you know, where we're going to be staying and uh, introduce us to a couple of people. And when we got off the airplane, the first thing I looked around and it's like, mm, I didn't say much. Then we got in the house after we got situated because it was a furnished uh, three-bedroom townhouse. Nice. I got to looking around and it's like, three years of this? I don't think so. <laughs> so I thought. I, uh, this is not going to work out. And then I went to, and no shopping, they had the PX, which is a Navy exchange. And you know me, I love to shop. So I went there and I thought, I told Joe, I don't know about this, but I didn't say much. So I got to talking to other people. And then uh, once I started working and they were, and you get so involved and busy because again, I got two little boys. Jo Josh was probably three. Joy was number one, five, because Joy was in kindergarten when we got there. You get so busy with that and working and all that. Time went by before I knew it. And then every six months, we were going somewhere. We left and went to Hawaii. Uh, we came to Dayton, and Sharon graduated in the process, and then we came to Tennessee. So every six months, as long as we were going somewhere, and then going into town, 
That was 1,200 miles away, which was Anchorage. <laughs> Town was 1,200 miles away? 1,200 miles, because we were out now, and the next stop over is Russia. How many hours is that? 12 hours, or 1,200 miles? Uh, no more than four or five. That's a lot. I can't remember. <laughs> Hawaii was the longest when that was like a day trip there. But when you when you're out there on the bush, we call it the bush, and there was nothing to do and all. Going, I mean, even going to McDonald's was a treat. And then they had a movie, a bowling alley. So you know, with kids three and five, and Joe took them fishing and hunting and that kind of stuff. So it filled up the time. And the weather was what I was misleading. I thought it was going to be extremely cold all the time, and actually it wasn't. It was um, a lot of precipitation, like raining, uh, but it wasn't a lot of cold and snow. I mean, when it did, it came. But in the, in the summertime, what was different is the daylight. It stayed daylight on up until maybe 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, and it's still daylight. And I thought, how can you go to sleep? And the people said, oh, you will. You'll get sleep, and you will go to sleep. And you had blinds, so you did. It was a, and you keep your kids on a regular schedule. But uh, that was the most difficult thing was just getting used to the daylight that stayed longer. And you did, I imagine you didn't see family that often living in Alaska. Like you weren't frequently visiting Jackson. Well, every six months. Like I said, we got off the island. So I still came to Jackson. And when we go to, we would fly to Memphis and then, uh, you know, stay in Jackson, then go to Dayton. So we still saw them just like we did when we lived in Illinois, pretty much. So you'd do like every six months, you so like twice a year, you'd see your family. Yeah, I did, at least twice a year. I like to write. I like to see family. And uh, we didn't get anybody to come. Now, during some of these stays, we got people to visit us. In California, we got Doris she, and George, my brother. He came out. Doris came out when Joey was born. Uh, when we went to New Orleans, we got all of them. We got uh, Joe's dad, his mama, the sisters and brothers. We got a lot of we got a lot of family from there. My mother. Then Alaska, nobody came with Sharon. You know, she stayed about five weeks. We got visitors, so you know it was okay. I'm sure that made it better, and it's cool to get to share your new place with family and friends. After your time in Alaska, where did you go? Well, after Alaska, that's when Joe got stationed in Great Lakes. It's like, okay, now we're, we were happy about that because it's like we're close to the, we're not far from Tennessee, even though we were 500 miles, 550, and Ohio was like 350. That's close considering Alaska going to other places. So when people talk about how far something is, we don't think so. We think if you, if you, if you lived in Alaska, a faraway place, nowhere is as far as that. So we left there going to, uh, we thought it would be nice since that was going to be Joe's last duty station to be somewhere again, you know, your grandmama liked to work. So I did do the certificate. I got that before. I always get it before I move. So I got the Illinois certificate. Joe worked at Great Lakes. I started working and got them settled in school and all. Then I started looking for a job. Then that I had a master's in special ed, I got a job right away. So I, we moved in July. I started working in September right away. So I stayed there. Joe had three years left before he retired. When he retired, he went straight on to uh, the company Abbott. That's what we did. We just we stayed there until he retired. So you lived in, near Chicago. Right, in suburbs of Chicago. Chicago was 40 minutes away, actually about 25 miles. Yeah, that's where I joined you. <laughs> <laughs> Right. We moved in 92 and 93, we got you. So excited. <laughs> Sometimes I don't uh, remember how much happened before me. 
<laughs> and a lot happened. Your mother never went over any of this with you? No, I mean, some of this I know, but like, for example, I don't think I realized you had two master's degrees. That makes sense because you were a counselor. Right. But I didn't know about special ed. I knew you went to Rice State, but I didn't know what you were doing there. I didn't know your first date with Papa was on his 25th birthday. I didn't know you and George graduated the same year and that you graduated early. Like, there's a few things I didn't know. Uh-huh. Like, I knew where you went to college. But the 23 years in the same building was, you know how I like to stay busy. And I started off there as a special ed teacher, too. And as we looked around and all, and then uh, the science position came open. I transferred to that three years. Then social studies, uh, technology, a lot of things came about. But I stayed in that same building. And then I looked at the counseling position. I thought, okay, Jordan went off to college and everything, and I like to stay busy. So that's when I started working on the next master's in counseling. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Like, I don't remember you being in another master's program. Like, I, like that makes <laughs> sense because, again, you became a counselor, but I'm like, I, I don't remember. So that's that's a fact that we unearthed today. So you get your first grandchild, me, a 93, and you have two sons and you're living in Waukegan, Illinois, and you're settled because now you're kind of done moving. You lived in that house until what year 2016 2015 December we left yeah December we left in November of 2015 yeah so you had like you had a lot of moving around but then you got kind of settled so during those years a lot happened you stayed at the same school for years but then also like the boys got older they went to college what did it feel like to be more settled like how did you feel once you got to a place where life was more consistent and you were no longer moving a lot did you miss moving were you happy to be in one place no, I was I was happy to be in one place. In fact, when we uh, picked that house, I was thinking in mind of Joydom School. I always think of school, what school we're going to put them in. And I thought the district that I wanted to put them in, I thought I wanted to live in that area. Then I wanted to live in the area where I was going to teach. So, you know, Joe said, okay, we let's just go closer to where I work. And if it doesn't work out, we can always put them in a private school or do something else. So we got the house, which I was happy with. And the job, I was so glad that I was seven minutes away from my job, two miles. I put Joey them in the public schools for a year, and I was in the public schools. I kind of started saw, saw seeing things that I too much that didn't like. I wanted to change their environment. So I just changed their school, but we stayed in the same house, which worked for them, too, because the same friends they had, Went to the same school that they have some of them same friends now. So that we went back to that stability for them. You know, what's funny. You're the only person in my life who's lived in the same house for most of my life. Does that make sense? So like your house that you lived in from 93 to 2015 is the longest a house has been in my life. So when you moved, I was like, oh, they're moving. This is the only house that I've known you to have. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about being a parent. So you have three kids, you had my mom in your first marriage, and then you had Joey and Josh when you married Papa. What has been your, the most rewarding part of being a parent? First of all, I guess I love being a mother, love being a mother. And I just felt like once I, you know, got them, it's just like, I want to do all I can to make them happy, keep them happy, give them structure, provide a loving environment for them, teach them the right way. And again, like I was taught, education. You know, education is the key and uh, being respectful, giving back. So I guess it just came natural that I just love being a mother. And then also being a teacher, I kind of 
I guess that kind of rubbed off on me too. And the kids the same way. I wanted, you know, them to, I wanted to give them all I could in the classroom. This is what you get. Like I tell them, I tell the parents, the same thing I give my kids is what I'm going to give your kids if they allow me to. You know, I don't teach my kids differently than I teach yours. I want them to do the, you know, to be successful as well. So just knowing that I want them to be successful. And as a teacher, I always say we really have the ingredients on how to have a better kid. I mean, we know. We tell parents, this is what you need to do. This is what you do to your kid in order to have them successful. So as a parent, we have to do the same thing, too. So if you do, you know, I know if you if you take and you love them, uh, support an environment, give them structure, help them with their work, make it uh, conducive to learning, go to their activities, put them in activities, you know, uh, spend time with them. If you do all of those things, I feel like you would get a successful kid. And I think I've been very successful with all three of them. I think they have they have been really good kids. They have been uh, successful. They've done the things that we want them to do. I mean, they're out in the world like everybody else. They may, may make uh, mistakes or whatever, but I think overall they've done well. Yeah, over, overall it turned out well. What is the hardest part about being a parent? The hardest thing about being a parent, I think probably was the first one, Sharon. Probably just the idea that I had to maneuver a lot of things by myself and uh, figure things out by myself. So probably being a single parent probably was the hardest I could, I think. Was there an event that you feel like changed the course of your life? And again, that was the early marriage, you know, just uh, doing things earlier. I mean, just doing earlier, th- doing things earlier. So I think that probably did. That changed the course of the things. I mean, uh, things that I normally, I guess other people would do, my, even my college changed. You know, I didn't go to Tennessee State. I don't regret any of those things, but things just, just was different when you got somebody else that's dependent on you. How old were you when you had mom and you got married? When I got married? Yeah, how old were you married? 18. I did know that, but I think it's interesting perspective to share that getting married younger is hard because it's like you still have so much life to figure out. But obviously, like it also informs a lot of the way your life went in a good way. Right. You can you can make the best of it or you could do it. You know, it could come in all kinds of ways. It's, you know, and I don't regret. I could say Sharon's my best gift that anybody could ever give me. You know, when I was in high school, when you get a junior high boyfriend, a high school boyfriend, then you think the next thing you do is get married. And we had Sharon before we got married, but then it got married after. You know, it's just, I don't know if it was married too young. It probably was. I think that was the biggest factor. You know, it is what it is, and I just don't dwell on it because I had some good, excellent people that helped me with Sharon. Sharon's grandmother, both of her grandmothers, in fact, they kind of argued a little bit about who was going to keep her. You know, they, this one have a calendar was good, keeping her, Ardell, and then Doris. Doris was just wonderful when I got to Dayton because, you know, when I want to go out on the weekends and do something, she would help. Even in Michigan, my girlfriend that uh, I taught with, she was another one. So Sharon, I have been really blessed to have people that really helped me out with Sharon that I can depend on and knowing that she was going to be safe. Yeah, you had a tribe of people, which I think is so important, like right. having a that community around you. Now, with the boys, I wasn't so lucky. If it wasn't, their dad was so safe and grace with them. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best piece of life advice that you've ever gotten? I guess probably mom, she, she, she stressed that independence. You know, she always said, 
only her whole thing was don't depend on man. If you depend on man, they would always let you down. She always said that it didn't make sense of what she was saying, but uh, I guess I read into that is take care of yourself first. You know, do what you need to do, and then. But she didn't say that nothing about don't like people or whatever. Just put your her whole thing was put your trust in God. Don't put your trust in man. That was, uh, and I guess that came from her life experience of being a single parent, and she realized that she had to do all that on her own, but. Uh, that's what I got in being kind to people. She always said treat people the way you wanted uh, them to treat you. The golden rule, that's, that stayed in my mind forever. I love that. So while I have you, I want to get into kind of like how the evolution of things have happened throughout your life. So we've talked about your life and, and kids and grandkids and all that, but what what is it like going from a time where they were like you didn't have a TV in your house and there were home phones and pay phones to a time where you have an iPhone and you're recording a podcast on your iPhone with your granddaughter? Like, how do you feel about this evolution of technology in your lifetime? And how have you kept up? Because I have to say, like you use a computer, I email you, I text you, we FaceTime. You have two grandchildren who are you know, they're young, like I'm, I'm 28, but you have grandchildren who are babies who you FaceTime and, and you've kept up with all of us. Like, how do you do that? And on both of you, you're, you're at your house using Sonos, like mom and dad don't have Sonos. So how have you kept up with all of that? Okay. Well, well, I guess the TV part of it goes about, if you know, you never miss what you never had. So TV is kind of catch up when I talk to somebody and they get to mention movies and uh, shows. And it's like, I, I don't remember that because I didn't watch it. You know, we go to somebody's house, it might be on, but it wasn't something we watched every day. So didn't really miss the TV part because, like I said, we didn't have it, and she told us why, and she didn't bring it in our house ever. So that was it. Now, once we moved out, got our own apartment houses, we have TVs in every room. Now, <laughs> the attention span, though, is still, I can't watch anything over 30 minutes, maybe an hour if I got to, you know, Joe can't start a move no 10 or 11 o'clock and expect me to be up to watch it because I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> so, and then uh, he might mention something, and for a while it was hard for me to follow things on TV because I wasn't used to watching it and movies and like that. So I guess I asked a lot of questions when he watching something, and he was almost like, didn't you see that? Did, and I think that was kind of frustrating to him because you go to the households where they have the TV on from the time you walk in to the time they go eat in the front of the TV, they sleep and wake up. So it was, I think it was the opposite, getting used to that. Now, the technology part, when I was in Alaska and I was subbing for a kindergarten, and the kindergartens were scheduled into computers. And I thought, oh, my God, computers, what am I going to do? So I was looking at the computer, and I couldn't figure out how to turn it on. And a little five-year-old walked over and said, teacher, you turn it on here. I thought, okay, if a five-year-old can tell me how to turn a TV a computer on, I need to know. So, again, I like to stay busy, so I took a class. I took a class in both of them. I took a class in Apple, and I also took one in, uh, what was the other one that was out? Because they used to have Microsoft. Microsoft. I took one in Microsoft, and I took one in um, that. So I stayed up on that by doing that, because then I ended up teaching. When I was in uh, um, Waukegan, I taught a computer class. The principal, I don't know, you get these administrators and realize they know who can do what or whatever. And then one time I had a schedule teaching computers health, science, social studies, and I thought, wait a minute, everybody else is doing one subject, sitting there in that same place all day long. Why am I moving around like this? And they said, well, say you got the energy and you can do this, you can do that. I said, okay, give me a couple of them, but don't give me all of them. So they gave me technology, health, 
and then I think science. So again, I caught, you know, stayed up on that technology, which teaching it. And then when we got the text, you were the one that taught your grandmama how to text. <laughs> I taught you how to text? You did. You told me, you, you, you told me, I don't know how, but you told me what to do and all. And you would say, oh, my grandmama's the first one that's texting. And then Josh was really good, too. When I, when I called Josh about something with that, he's pretty good at that. Joey was really excellent, too, with the computer. When I call him up, if I'm doing something on the computer, get stuck or whatever. So between them and you guys, y'all was great. Y'all was one to help me out. And that's really how I got it. Just And then at school, uh, junior high, I love junior high because kids keep you young. And they would come in and talk and all, and they, they were having problems with Facebook. You know how Facebook friends doing things. And I said, Facebook? How do you get on Facebook? Oh, Miss Robinson, let me show you. They set me up on Facebook. So that's how that started. That's how that started. The rest is history. She's texting. She's on Facebook. She'll FaceTime you. Like, you're everywhere. Yeah. So and I'm, I'm good at actually following directions and learning from others. You know, I'm not, I don't feel like I know everything that I just can do it by myself. I don't mind asking people or whatever. And, but somehow, they do. You guys do. You do, you know, you do it. Okay. I love that. I, I mean, I, it's exciting that you are up on the technology because I think well, my mom and I talk about this sometimes. If you don't adopt technology, you kind of are lost in the world right now because everything's about technology. So it's very impressive that both my grandparents can text me and call me. And even at your house, you have gadgets. I don't even have it at my house. Like, I'm like, okay, look at them. <laughs> I also want to ask you, because it's timely, you grew up in the South, Jackson, Tennessee, as a Black woman. Obviously, there's a segregation element there. What was it like growing up as a Black woman in Jackson? And also, we didn't mention this in the podcast, but I'm mentioning it mentioning it now, you've moved back to Jackson. So what was growing up like in Jackson when it comes to segregation and race, and what is it like now? Okay, growing up, well, it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. And uh, there was, you know, growing up, there was a certain part of town that black people lived in. And again, with the schools, you know, there were schools you can go to, even though we passed the school that was, you remember where uh, Grandmama Mildred lived? Mm -hmm. Remember that school right there on the side of her house? That was a white school. Now, we passed that school going to Lincoln every day. So there were certain schools that blacks would go to, certain schools that white could go to, what, you know, it was just, it was segregated. So it was almost like, this is what you do. This is, you know, and then as I've learned later on, it was a certain street, Highland, that black people really didn't cross over. You just, it's kind of like, and your parents, you know, you can't do anything other than what your parents do. So your parents moving around in these neighborhoods because these are the neighborhoods they can go to. So this is, this is just what you do. And uh, then when the civil rights came on, you know, and all, and protesting when the uh, Woolworth sitting at the lunch counter and all, I was still living in Jackson then, and sometimes you would want to do those things and all, but then they had a way of, and we tell kids at school, they were saying, I wouldn't do that. I would, yeah, you would do it because your parents would work for these people, and then they would take their jobs away, and it would just like, you just, the whole family would, would uh, suffer if you did something out of the ordinary, so that was kind of different. That was, that was different. You, it was almost like you just didn't do certain things or whatever. But as time got to the end before I left, things were changing. But it wasn't changing to the part of all my neighbors and friends and all still lived in the same place. Now, when I went away because of the military and, and other places I lived in, I got a chance to meet a lot of people from different backgrounds, different culture. Because when I lived in Jackson, you only knew one thing, white, black. 
Then when we got in the, uh, when we drove to the military, we got to California. We were in a room and we looked around. There were Filipinos, Koreans. There were people from all over. When you're in the military, you end up seeing a lot of people from different cultures and different backgrounds. And then when jobs, when they open up jobs, when they just want a black school, a white school, you know, the schools were had black teachers and white teachers. So you got a chance to know people too, and that a lot of that changed as well. Because I came from a background of my mother with that strong value of treating people with respect, no matter who they are or whatever, she never got into that. You can't play with them because they're this. You can't play with them because they're that. She never did buy into that. So because she didn't, we didn't pick up that. So when I was going from jobs to jobs, people found me easy to assimilate with them because if that wasn't on my, that wasn't on my agenda. You're white. I can't talk to you. You're this. I can't talk to you. So that was easy in that respect based on what I got from my home. Now, moving away and coming back, I always thought I never would come back to Jackson. I never said never, but in the back of my mind, it just didn't cross my mind that I would ever come back. Life changes. And it changed when my mother was getting older and I felt like, you know, she needed someone uh, close by to take care of her. I wanted to spend more time with my family because I felt like we were always traveling to visit them, always traveling, to, you know, to see them. And then when we got to the point of, okay, you can't work forever. We're going to retire. So when we're going to retire, do we want to stay here? And when we looked at it, we don't have anybody here in Waukegan. It's just us. So I thought we knew we were going to go to Ohio or Dayton where family was, Joe's family or my family. Joe said he was tired of doing snow, tired of shoveling snow. It was cold there. He comes to Tennessee, and the weather's nice in January, whatever. So he thought, and the houses was cheaper. We looked at houses and all. So we thought, okay, Jackson is the place to be. And now that I'm back, it is totally different. I, I am not confined to one side of the town. You know, I realize that you go back, you know, you're going back now, you got more resources. You can stay wherever you want to stay. It, it's all about finance now. So the, that's a whole different story. Pretty much, you go wherever you want to go because uh, no one can tell you where you can't go or whatever. You go where your finances allow you to go. So we're in a neighborhood now with predominantly doctors and all. I look around at Joe and it's like, how did this happen? Well, we look at it as if you got your money's green, you can go where you want to go. And I asked some of them, how did you guys all get in the same place? You know, you got doctors on each side, around the corner. And they were saying, of course, the recruiters told them where to stay. On the opposite side of town, closer to the hospitals, closer to the amenities. So uh, it's totally different now. Totally different. Now, some of the, uh, and then, you know, the kids your age and the rest of them, are, they're used to being around minorities and they've gone to school with you guys. And so things are different. The older generation, you know, uh, they saw things one way. Generations now, they just don't see it the way they did. So you said that because you were easy to get along with and you treated people well, people of different cultures were cool with you because you moved from place to place and you knew how to speak to all these different people. But was there ever a situation where because you were a black teacher or because you were a black person moving to a space where people weren't kind to you? I don't know if I would say one kind. When you get to know them and all, they are, they're, you can see some jealousy and they're based on you're not like them or a stereotype. You know how people stereotype you until they get, till they get a chance to know you. For instance, uh, even before the military with Joe, I, you know, I had gone to Michigan and then I had gone to Ohio. I had taught there for like five or six years before we got married. So I, I remember Michigan, the, the, the girl used to tell me, she said, 
you're not struggling and you're not. She would say things like, what, what does she mean? And then I guess what she was saying is stereotyping about what they said about us or whatever. And I guess she realized that I'm just like them. I want this. I want that. I, You know, so I guess they'll see they, they didn't know you because they don't know you. They stereotype you until they get a chance to know you. And then it's oh, you're cool. I think I ran into some jealousy because... I don't know, because I, I feel like I'm a go-getter. If I want something, you know, I study for it, get a degree in it, get some certification in it, and I go for it. And I can see some jealousy on that part, thinking in terms of who she thinks she is. And I don't know if that's because of a color or whatever. Or sometimes I think they feel like maybe you shouldn't have it or, you know, I, it could be that part. And I think that just could be jealousy and ignorance. Yeah, so, you know, as life, you go, oh, yeah. People have been not nice because of, uh, like in Michigan, um, the, the, the superintendent had to call. He told me when I got ready to leave, he said, you know what, we misread you. And I thought, misread me? What do you mean? Well, he didn't want to come out in the details, but I think it was kind of like maybe minority teachers don't know enough to teach their kids because the school was predominantly white. And then he said, I found out that you have the highest test scores in the district. Wow. And, and when they wrote up my, um, and I was wondering why I was getting some of the uh, teacher's kids and all you kind of wonder, and I thought, well, maybe it's the structure and, and that kind of thing. And then when he told me, and they, he even wrote it up on uh, when I got ready to leave for my recommendation, if you want somebody with quality, blah, blah, uh, I say that she got the highest test scores in the district. So those things were a good reflection of, but then it goes in of, do you always have to be the best or are you the best because this is what you want to do? I felt like the best because this is what I wanted to do. Yeah, you weren't doing it because you had to be the best as a black woman. You're doing it because you wanted to be the best. This is a, this is what I wanted to do. I felt like if you're going to do it, do it. You know, don't have to do it. Do it the best you can do it. And that's just, I don't know, that's just the way I feel. Okay, so last question for you. What are you most proud of? My children. <laughs> Your children. After all the stuff you just said you did. Your children. <laughs> Well, that's, that's number one. Very proud of, of my children, my husband, family. Family, you know, say it all, my family. That's number one. And the accomplishments that I've made, I mean, I've, I've seen things that I wanted to do, and I made it happen by, you know, not saying I want to do this. You, you always hear people talk about their goals and what they want to do, and they're 50, 60 years down the road, and they still haven't done it. So, you know, why haven't you done it? So counseling was the one I always said when I got to uh, walk kicking. It's like, I really want to be a counselor. And the, the counselor, I talked to him every day. He said, why, he said, why don't you go back and do it? You can do it. You know? And I thought, no, blah, blah. But family was important. I thought, hey, I'm not going to leave. I, I was the kind of mother that wanted to be at, at home when the bus let, leave off my kids. Or either I pick them up from school. And I was lucky that Sharon was there in the school in the second and third grade. Joey then was there from kindergarten, kindergarten all the way to third. So I'm there. I just want to be a mother that was there as much as I could. I don't didn't want to be an absentee mother. Okay. I like that. I like that answer. I'm included in the answer, so I like that for us. Yes. And my grandkids are, oh, wonderful. I am, you know, when I was thinking the other day, it's just like, you know what? I am really blessed that I have a family where all my kids went to college. My grandkids all went to college and have a degree and are successful. I mean, that is one good thing to be proud of. It is. It is. I'm proud of it. I think it's interesting because as your grandchild, it's funny because people stereotype me. So as you're talking about stereotypes, it's 2022 and I'm still getting stereotypes. But I remember in college kind of people thinking because you're black, your family didn't go to college. And I'm like, no, my whole family went to college. (laughs) Like... 
So we so, that a lot too. <laughs> yeah, so I think that was interesting and it's always been I mean, I'm proud of our family not only because of accomplishments, but I think it's really cool to see so many black people who went after things regardless of their circumstances because you say in the beginning like you didn't come from a ton of money, but you made a whole lot happen. You got married young, you had a single mom, you had all these things that people stereotype and say, "Oh, well, that's not going to happen." And then you have a huge legacy. So I think that's something definitely to be proud of. Well, thank you. Yeah. And then when I think about it, uh, even the the spouses that Joey has and uh, Joshua's girlfriend, I'm thinking they even chose people that, you know, education is important as well. Some of the same values. So that's how I look at it. You know, it's just, and it goes a long way. Mildred May taught. I mean, she started early. Education is the key. She always said, get something you can do to uh, advance. You know, and that's pretty much what she was saying, you know. You don't have to stay where you are just because you're there. You know, you can change things by doing good things. Those are your parting words and your advice to the people I love. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I had a blast with you. Well, thank you, Shelby. I was thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? Shelby went great. I enjoy talk. I always enjoy talking to you. You are my number one grandbaby. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.